Good morning, everyone. I don't know about you, but when I see myself in a video, I think, surely I don't look like that. I'm much skinnier in my mind's eye. I think there's something wrong with your camera, Bill. <laughs> Man, Bill is sharp this morning. Well, I'd like to start by um, looking at Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. This is a pretty familiar passage um, at Thanksgiving time, but nevertheless, it doesn't lose its power. And so we'll start at verse 11 of chapter 17 of Luke. And it came about while he was passing on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and the reality that it never returns void. I pray that every scripture I read this morning would have great power. And Lord, we would open our hearts to the ministry and the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to baptize us, Lord, with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. In a dangerous world, at a time when we're facing perhaps more challenges than ever, may we elevate, may you elevate our spirits to constant and consistent thankfulness and gratefulness and praise to you. So Lord, we invite you to do your work today. And uh, I ask you to anoint this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are like me, you want to be that one in ten who returns to give glory to the living God. In fact, that's the title of this message, Becoming the One in Ten. Becoming the One in Ten. You know, but I wonder what the other nine were thinking. Have you ever thought about that? What might have gone through their minds, what they might they have said to themselves that kept them from turning back? Perhaps number nine was a bit of a stoic someone who doesn't really like emotional outbursts that much. Maybe he said to himself, that poor schlep, as he watched 
number 10, running back to Jesus. I wish he wasn't so emotional. It really turns me off. Maybe number eight was struggling with poor self-esteem, and he said, maybe I should go back too, but no, the master is a very busy man. I shouldn't bother him again. Maybe number seven is a bit of a cynic. I'm not sure this healing will even last. I better wait and see. Maybe number six was a minimizer. It's not that big a deal. I was getting better anyway. Maybe number five was a legalist. No, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests. That guy is actually being disobedient by going back to thank him. Maybe number four was a procrastinator. I'll just catch Jesus later when it's more convenient to thank him. Maybe number three was the faith formula guy. Maybe he was from Tulsa. Why should Jesus get thanks? It was my positive confession and my faith that made me well. Maybe number two was a bit of a conformist. I'll show myself to the priests, all right, but I'm not going to say anything about Jesus. If I do, they'll throw me out of the synagogue before I even get back in. And maybe number one was that stubborn unbeliever. I must not have been sick after all. No one has power to heal, especially this upstart, self-proclaimed Messiah named Jesus. It's our thoughts that determine our feelings, and so often our feelings determine our actions. Some would say that our perspective, our disposition, determines everything. The late Billy Joe Doherty, pastor at Victory Christian, said, used to say that attitude determines altitude. That's powerful, isn't it? Attitude determines altitude. You may have heard the story of the Jewish man and his goat. There was this Jewish man who went to his rabbi and said, Rabbi, I'm going nuts. I live in a very small house with nine other people. I'm going crazy. What should I do? And the rabbi said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and bring your goat into the house. And then I want you to come back in a week. Well, he protested, but the rabbi said, no, do as I say. So he went home and he brought his goat into the house. He came back a week later and said, Rabbi, this is disgusting. That goat is filthy. What do I do? The rabbi said, take the goat out of the house and come back in a week. Well, a week later he came back and he was happy and radiant. He said, Rabbi, life is beautiful. There's only nine of us in the house. And we love each other all the time. <laughs> well, I don't have a goat in my house. But in the main room of, of our house, the room where we spend the most time, there are three steps up to the next level or the main level in the house. So there's step one, step two, step three, and then the landing at the main level. And I'd like to use that as a vis visual image for my outline this morning. 
that we need to take some steps up the scale of thanksgiving. The first step we can take is from self-sufficiency to gratitude. The second step is gratitude to thanksgiving. The third step is thanksgiving to thanks living. And the fourth step is to land in a place where we give our greatest thanks to God himself and what he has done. And so to warm up our thanksgiving feelings and thoughts this morning, I want to share with you some quotes on gratitude and thanksgiving, and then some scriptures. First one is from William Blake. It's only four words. He says, gratitude is heaven itself. Gratitude is heaven itself. I think many a parent feels this when they see gratitude coming from their child. When you see your child express gratitude, parents, isn't that like heaven itself? You're so happy that they get it. Cicero said, a thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all other virtues. Even a non-believer recognizes the importance of thankfulness. William Law, the English priest, 1700, said, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most, or fasts most, or gives most, but he who is always thankful to God, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness, and has a heart always ready to praise him for it. Tremendously influential man wrote those words. And then preacher Robert Massey, in a sermon, Where Are the Nine?, he said this, devil will do his best to keep your mind off the blessings of God. Isn't that true? The devil will do his best to keep your mind off the blessings of God. He will constantly tell you how bad you have it, of how everything is wrong in your life. It's when you begin to realize how much you have in the Lord that you truly begin to be thankful. And when you're thankful, your heart will abound with love for the Lord that has so graciously given all to you. C.S. Lewis said, we ought to give thanks for all fortune if it is good because it is good. If bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. I would add that often what we think is bad turns out to be good. And so uh, we need to keep that in mind. Martin Luther wanted us to remember the sin from which God has delivered us. And he said, you don't forget what you were before lest you take for granted the grace and mercy you receive from God and forget to express your gratitude each day. And then Robert Louis Stevenson, the last one, said, the person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep in life. Now just some quick scriptures from the Psalms primarily. 
Psalm 104 and 5, we sang earlier, or no, we uh, recited it as a body. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good and his loving kindness is everlasting, his faithfulness to all generations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then one that we think of so often from Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then one last one I'd like to look at is Psalm 50. Um, Psalm 50, starting in verse 7 because I want to make a point about this section. The Lord is talking to Israel, and he says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. So the Lord is bringing a rebuke to the people. He says, I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, for your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Now here's what he says. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. So here the people were doing, they were being obedient. They were presenting the sacrifices as they should and the Lord had no beef about that. But what he did have an issue was there wasn't thankfulness in their hearts. And so what I want to suggest to you is that the message of that last passage is that even if we're obedient, if there's no thankful heart, we're just doing ritual. We're just entering into ritual. And the Lord is after that thankful heart. Amen? All right. So how do we become that one in ten? Well, the sad truth is we must be trained to be thankful, mustn't we? We're just normally thankful. Think of small children. I heard a story about a small child and his mother who were on the street, and a nice old man came up and gave the small child an orange. And the mother, as you can just so picture, said, Son, what do you say to the nice man? Well, the little boy thought for a minute, and he handed the orange back to the old man and said, Peel it. (laughs) That wasn't what the mother was looking for. When we're young, we need to be trained to be thankful, don't we? But when we get to be adults, there's a different problem. And that problem I will call self-sufficiency. So the first step up 
that we need to take is from self-sufficiency to a heart of gratitude. Have you ever considered that self-sufficiency is a satanic attitude? That's pretty strong. But I want you to note in chapter 14 of Isaiah, where using a literary hermeneutic called apostrophe, Isaiah is prophesying about the king of Babylon, but behind that, he's talking about Satan falling from heaven. And in this passage, you'll notice that there are five statements where Satan says, I will do this, and I will do that. Let me read them to you. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Moses strongly warned the people also against self-sufficiency in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 11. He was reading the law to the people and he said, Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold multiplies, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. James 1, verse 16 and 17 says, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good endowment and every perfect gift is where? Is from where? Is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We need to cultivate gratefulness and thanksgiving in our hearts, don't we? We need to cultivate that. In the 1970s or so, there was a social researcher named Henry Moose M-O-O-S, and he studied what he called the social climates of churches, businesses, families, even individuals. And um, I went home after being exposed to some of those studies and said to Laura, you know, honey, what, what kind of a social climate do we want in our home? 
And we decided that we wanted, our kids were young at the time, we decided that we wanted a home that was firm but fun. We wanted to have our home be the home that our kids wanted to bring their friends to rather than a home that our kids wanted to get away from. And so we, we tried to be firm but fun. And we did things like kidnapping the kids and we threw pillowcases over their heads and tied them up and went to San Antonio to SeaWorld or something. You know, crazy stuff like that that we'd probably get arrested for these days. But uh, we tried to make our home fun, but also firm. But as they got older, we sort of switched a little bit to we wanted a home where the kids felt respected for who they were, that not, every, not all our kids had to be the same type of person, but each one would be respected for their special personality and their unique gifts. My oldest daughter, Abby, and her husband, Stuart, picked up on this idea, and they decided that they wanted the number one social climate variable in their home to be gratefulness. And so the way they pursued that is they had one night a week where they only ate rice, plain rice, and plain beans. And I'm not even sure the kids could eat all they wanted. And then they would talk about how this was the norm in many, many places of the world. And so they did that at least, I know, over a year, maybe up to two years, to try to develop gratefulness in the heart of their children. You might remember the movie Roots, and Alex Haley, the author of that book of which the movie, from which the movie was made, he had a picture in his office uh, behind his desk of a turtle resting on top of a fence post. A very strange picture. But when he was asked about it, why, what does that picture mean? He said, whenever I sort of become uh, enamored, too enamored of what I've written, whenever I start to become proud, I look at that picture to remind myself that that turtle didn't get there by himself, <laughs> that he had help. And I remind myself that I didn't get where I am uh, through my own gifts and power. If any of you have been feeling self-sufficient lately, let's take that first step up and cultivate a heart of gratitude. Let's agree with the scriptures that say every good gift and every perfect endowment is from above. And all that we have, we have received. Amen? Hallelujah. I knew you'd be with me on that. The second step is from gratitude to thanksgiving. Gratitude to thanksgiving. E.M. Bounds is a, an author that many of you are familiar with. Um, he wrote a series of books on prayer 
power in prayer, and many others. Uh, But listen to what he says about thanksgiving and gratitude. We're moving now from gratitude to thanksgiving. He says, in fact, thanksgiving is but the expression of an inward conscience conscious gratitude to God for mercies received. Gratitude is an inward emotion of the soul involving, uh, excuse me, involuntarily arising therein, while thanksgiving is the voluntary expression of gratitude. Thanksgiving is oral, positive, active, It's the giving out of something to God. Thanksgiving comes out into the open. Gratitude is secret, silent, passive, not showing its being till expressed in praise and thanksgiving. Gratitude is felt in the heart. Thanksgiving is the expression of that inward feeling. I really love the sentence, thanksgiving is oral positive, active. Isn't that wonderful? Someone has said that love is the love that is not expressed is not love. And it makes me think of the fiddler on the roof and uh, Tevya when he's ta- working with his uh, daughter, I think it's pronounced Hodel or Hoddle, Hoddle, um, and a young man named uh, Perchik is asking for Hoddle's hand. And um, he's talking to his wife, Golda, about their engagement. And he says, uh, Golda, I have decided to give Perchik permission to become engaged to our daughter, Hoddle. Golda says, what? He's poor. He has nothing, absolutely nothing. Tevya says, he's a good man, Golda. I like him, and what's more important, Hoddle likes him. Hoddle loves him. So what can we do? It's a new world. It's a new world. Love, Golda. (laughs) And then Tevya says, do you love me? You can hear it in, do you love me? Come on, James, you and me, man. Ah, good. Golda says, do I love you? She's puttering around the house frantically, irritated at Tevya for asking this question. She says, do I love you? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out, go inside, go lie down, maybe it's indigestion. He says, Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know, but do you love me? Do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Tebya says, Golda, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was shy. I was nervous. Golda says, so was I. But my father and my mother said we would learn to love each other, and now I'm asking Golda, do you love me? Golda says, I'm your wife. Tevye says, I know, but do you love me? I love his persistence. 
Golda wonders, do I love him? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? So Tevya jumps on that and he says, then you love me. And she says, I suppose I do. And Tevya says, I suppose I love you too. And then they both sing, it doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. Isn't that beautiful? Tevya wanted to hear, I love you. I love you. And so thanksgiving is like that. It needs to be expressed. King David was a master at expressing thanksgiving, wasn't he? Let me just read a few verses to you. Psalm 30, 11 and 12. He said, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. And then a few chapters later in 35, verse 18, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among a mighty throng. And then lastly, 109, verse 30, with my mouth I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord. And in the midst of many, I will praise him. And I hope you noticed in our text that the man who went back to Jesus was thanking and praising him how? Do you remember? In a loud voice. How embarrassing. But let me ask you, on a personal level, husbands, are you thanking your wives for the things they do? Wives, are you thanking your husbands? Children, are you thanking your parents? If you say thank you to us, I mean, we're happy for months. So it might go better for you. Let's take that second stairway up and move from inner gratitude to expressions of thanksgiving. Let's become the one in ten who turns back and gives a thanksgiving that is oral, positive, and active. And then we take that third stair step up from thanksgiving to thanks living. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about constantly expressing our praise to God. Psalm 34.1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. One author said, Thanksgiving must be continual, not contingent. Continual, not contingent. And Thanks living, when you meet someone who is constantly thankful, it's contagious. It's contagious, isn't it? Um, Joel, remember your dad, how he used to say, I am the happiest man alive. And how many of you would say, that spirit has come down to his son? 
And Joel is so positive. We love that about you, Joel. You know, if Joel talks about the weather, he's going to tell you something great about the weather. If it's cold, boy, it makes you feel alive, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, just if he's going to talk about being here in church, he says, this is so much better than being in the best hospital in Tulsa. And if he wants to compliment you, he will authentically tell you how excited, Joel uses excited and wonderful and amazed a lot. I was over here after leading worship one Sunday, and Joel came up, he said, Jim, that worship was amazing. And at that moment, Dallas walked up, and he said, wasn't it Dallas? And Dallas just kind of shrugged, and Joel said, see, he thinks so too. (laughs) So I think we ought to give Joel a little pop quiz right now and say, Joel, what are you thankful for right now? Everything. Everything. Give us two or three things. To live in America. To be a part of this body. For our families. I thought you were going to say for this message. (laughs) You disappointed me, Joel. He was. He, he just hadn't thought of it yet. But Joel is ready in season. He's not allowing the devil to tell him things are bad. He is sincere and happy and thankful. And he is so all the time. I wonder if we could become fanatical about giving thanks like that. Winston Churchill said, a fanatic is someone who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. (laughs) Perhaps we can become like that by continually giving thanks. I want to close this section with one verse from Hebrews. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. There's that word continually. Thanks living. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. The fourth step, the last one, is stepping up to that landing. It's a place where we turn the majority of our thanks to God himself. To God himself. We can be thankful for our families, our jobs, our warm and safe beds, our nation, our circumstances, but preeminently over all of that, I think you'll agree with me that we should be thankful most of all for God himself and for what he has done. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God is a seeking God. He's a missionary God. We didn't reach out to him but he reached down to us. He's near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Some of you are crushed in spirit this morning. God is near you. He's going to save you. He is saving you. 
His steadfast love is everlasting, and His mercies, as Bill preached a month or so ago, is new every morning. He is a refuge to us. He's a fortress that we can climb into and be safe. And He has forgiven our sins and put us in right relationship with Himself. And He is preparing a heavenly home for us. Isn't that wonderful? With Tom's mom, with Joe, we know they are in their heavenly home. They're in the presence of the Lord. George Washington wanted to use his presidency as a platform to promote thanksgiving to God. And so... In 1789, he wrote this proclamation. By President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being, who is the beneficent author of all that, all the good that was, that is, or that will be. So read the very first Thanksgiving proclamation. That sounds a lot like James 1.16 and 17, doesn't it? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Let's be thankful for that. So I want to exhort you this morning in closing to determined to become that one in ten and to try to progress up these stair steps from an attitude of self-sufficiency to gratitude, from gratitude to thankfulness, uh, thanksgiving, from thanksgiving to thanksgiving, and then even a step higher to a platform where your primary focus is on thanks to God for himself and for all that he has done. And maybe that will overflow in us to such a point that we can't help but speak his name. We can't help but tell others about him. Here's a closing story. Roland Allen was a great English missionary, and he tells about a veteran missionary who came to him one day after he had delivered a sermon. The missionary introduced himself and said, I was a medical missionary for many years in India, and I served in a region where there was progressive blindness. People were born with healthy vision, but there was something in that uh, area that caused people to lose their sight as they matured. But this missionary, being a medical missionary, had developed a process which would arrest the progressive blindness. 
So people came to him and he performed his operation and they would leave realizing that they would now not be blind, but they were going to be able to see the rest of their lives. He said that they never said thank you because that phrase was not in their dialect. Instead, they spoke a word that meant, I will tell your name. Wherever they went, they would tell the name of the missionary who had cured their blindness. They had received something so wonderful, they were eagerly wanting to proclaim it. So, Father, we ask that we would be the one in ten. And, Father, that we would move from any attitudes of self-sufficiency or despair to up that first step to that inner gratitude that we sang about this morning. But we pray we wouldn't stop there. We pray we would express that gratitude verbally, actively, powerfully, boldly, publicly to our friends and especially to our our families. And then, Lord, we ask we'd go a step up and constantly do that, that we just wouldn't be giving thanks, but we would be living testimonies of thanks. And then we pray we'd reach that platform where our hearts are so overflowing that we would determine to bring glory and honor and praise to you and we would tell your name. We ask you to bless to our spirits this message and uh, use it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in uh, house church this past week, we were studying Colossians chapter 3, and we noticed how many times there's the admonition to be thankful in the passage that we were looking at. And we remembered that you have to have an object for thanksgiving. You know, I think that's one thing our culture may have lost, and we celebrate thanksgiving, and we're thankful for the turkey, and we're thankful for this and that, but we're not thankful to someone the giver of that gift. And so we don't want to lose that. And Jim, you you brought that home so clearly this morning. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to read that passage from Colossians as we close. So can you stand with me? Colossians chapter 3, beginning with the end of verse 15, where it says, and be thankful. And then it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. To God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. We're dismissed.